Alpha Architect weekly research summary. This week we're going over three papers as usual. We got Dr. Jack Vogel here with us as usual. Um, so we're just going to get right into it. The, the first blog post we're going over this week was written by Wes. It's titled, Summing Up the Potential Benefits and Pitfalls of Diversification in Three Slides. Uh, the purpose of this paper was to look at modern portfolio theory. Jack, what is modern portfolio theory? Yeah, so what, what Wes did was kind of show the math behind diversification and kind of how it's built out and did it in three slides. So kind of what, let me just go through the first one is, the first one talks about, you know, you want to diversify your portfolio, right? Modern portfolio talks about that. And so naturally a question is, you know, how did, how does one then calculate what the, uh, the risk or the, you know, of the portfolio becomes, right? And, and when you do all the math, right? If you assume that, uh, everything's uncorrelated, right? You're taking uncorrelated bets, uh, and you let your N go to infinity, right? Your number of holdings. Your number of holdings, right? What yeah. happens is you see, you know, the, the standard deviations all disappear. It's just the covariance. And in this hypothetical example that Wes made up in slide one, you see that you just get the mean return because, you know, if the covariant, if the covariance is the only thing that's left over and your correlations are zero, that means there's no risk. Right. right. So that was slide one. And slide and that, two. And slide one is what something somebody won a Nobel Prize for. Yeah. So it's a whole lot of fancy math, but it's uh, yeah, it's it's a really important thing in finance. Yeah. So the math's nice, right? And then slide two shows, you know, obviously. And actually, I would say it's it's also key because it it's basically just saying be diversified. Like that's what this fancy math proves. Um, which, which we all understand intuitively, but anyway, so good. So then slide two. Yeah. And slide two in Wes's paper was basically, you know, Hey, what happens if I take one bet, 10 bets or a hundred bets, right? And I do this a thousand times. We ran a thousand simulations. And again, the assumption there is you have a mean of 10% volatility of 20%, but your bets are all uncorrelated, right? So what happens, you know, if you take one bet, you just get your normal bell curve because you don't take one bet. You take 10, gets, you know, more concentrated. You take 100, right? And it basically goes straight around 10%. Yep. Right? So, so yeah, the standard bell curve, right? Most tallest in the middle, and then it gets thinner in the tails. And this is said tongue-in-cheek, but to Jack. So according to the math, we should just lever up times 100 and then with all these uncorrelated bets, we'd be totally safe, right? In the real world? Yeah, well, you know, in the real world, first off, you don't have a thousand uncorrelated assets. So right? that gets you. The, the second thing is a lot of times, one of the reasons, you know, you may diversify uh, from just stocks to maybe like stocks and bonds, right, is you wanna have <clears throat> things that have lower correlation. So you're obviously gonna give up less returns. Yeah. So even if you had a thousand assets, they're not gonna have the same mean return, right? You may give up some returns for the benefit of the, uh, you know, lower correlation amongst them, right? But in slide three, kind of what Wes showed is that, you know, in a lot of instances, what happens is, you know, uh, Wes basically made an assumption that, you know, in 10% of the observations, 
uh, our correlations became very high, right? So when everything blows up, everything becomes correlated, you know, and in such instance, you kind of still have the drawdowns in the portfolio. Great. Um, and so and, that was kind of slide three. And, and this is what, you know, causes a lot of investors to blow up because uh, what Jack is saying, the uh, at the times you kind of need it the most, correlation often goes, you know, to everything being the same. So that that can lead to bad situations like we've seen happen again and again in, in the finance throughout financial history. Um, so, yeah, so so we have all the fancy math is the point of that story. Diversification definitely works. Um, but in the real world, it there is definitely some art to it. You can't just. Yeah, I mean, nuts. well, the math in those slides is you know, it is not necessarily applicable at all in all instances to the real world, right? Most people just invest in two assets, stocks and bonds, right? Right. So they don't have a thousand or an infinite number of assets. They have two, right? Right. But, but correlation is important and correlation in times when equities underperform is also important. Right. So, so the next paper we looked at this week uh, was written by Jack. It was called, How Can the Investment Cap-M Price Momentum? Now, this paper definitely falls into the deep geek category. Um, so I think we're going to need a little bit of background. So the paper, again, is called, How Can the Investment Cap-M Price Momentum? So, Jack, what is Investment Cap-M? Yeah, so uh, Investment Cap-M is... Um it's a series of paper by Lu Zhang and a couple other authors. Um, basically, you know, trying to uh, price, price stocks, right? Or probably, sorry, uh, trying to explain the cross-section of stocks in a, I would say, different manner than you know, using your standard Fama French five factors or Fama French five factor model plus moment, right? Yep. So they have a different model, which, you know, they build up from microeconomics and out of their model spits out, you know, uh, investment and profitability. So they say, you know, investment and profitability, you know, plus they use, you know, just the market return and small minus large. Those four factors generally do a better job, uh, they would argue, than other models at pricing the cross-section of stock returns. Right. So high-level investment cap M is there's two main factors, investment and profitability. Right. Because then there's investment cap M and, and the kind of the point of this is what what's what's the other cap M? Is consumption? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean that's a more detailed conversation that I didn't even dig into. But yeah, generally a lot of the other models are built up out of consumption cap M. That's right. Okay. So to, yeah, just just to kind of yeah, I guess there's a lot of history behind this. Um, but so, uh, yeah, so investment cap, and so then what does it mean when we can, when we say, uh, can the investment cap M price momentum? Like what's this paper trying to prove? Yeah. So, um, kind of what it says. So, you know, if we say one variable prices another, like what does that mean? Yeah. Right. So, so normally what you would do is let's say you had two variables, variable A and B, and we just run them against the market and we see that both of them have excess returns, right? So we, we say, okay, they're both like some, we call them anomalies, right, or factors, okay? And then let's say we think that, you know, B is really what's driving A, 
right? So if you ran A's returns against, let's say, the market NB, and all of a sudden all of the anomalous returns to A disappear, yep. we would see that B priced A, right? So that's kind of what we mean when we say priced, like one variable priced another. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, yeah, so so paper called Can the Investment Cap M Price Momentum? Uh, and then the you then went deeper and you said uh, that this paper by uh, Robert Novi Marx, uh, he argues Cap M cannot price momentum and gross profitability. So what are the big picture takeaways? Yeah, so um, basically the, <clears throat> you know, uh, Robert Novi Marx actually shows in this working paper that you know the investment cap M as currently constructed does price momentum and it does price gross profitability, right? What he kind of does though, which is an interesting takeaway, is you know the one variable in the investment cap M is expected profitability, right? And so obviously, if if in your model expected profitability pops out, you know it's hard to say what future profitability will be. So what Lu Zhang does is he uses most recent earnings divided by you know the book equity, right? So kind of ROE, but it's updated monthly. And what Robert Novi Marx does in this paper, which is an interesting idea, is he takes your most recent earnings over your lag book to market and kind of does a nice little math trick where you basically say your most recent earnings is a combination of your earnings innovations, like the change year over year of your earnings plus your lagged earnings like four quarters ago, mm. right? And so he basically breaks down the ROE factor into two factors, which is fundamental momentum or changes in earnings yep. divided by book equity plus just your lagged uh, ROE from a year ago, right? And kind of what he finds is that when you break this down, uh, the two findings in the paper basically are the fact that, you know, uh, with price momentum, um, one could argue after you control for his fundamental momentum or a part of the ROE factor, that ROE adds little value. And then when you try to price gross profitability, which Novi Marx has a paper on, as well as it's, it's a factor in the final French five-factor model, right? The, the profitability factor. So once you break out uh, ROE into two pieces, gross profitability still has a lot of most returns, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, high level, uh, I would say that the paper, from my opinion, kind of finds similar conclusions to the investment cap end and kind of the economic interpretations, I would say the authors are varying between each other. Um, but it is a neat paper. And also, you know, for those interested in learning more about investment cap end, we have a pretty lengthy interview with Lu Zhang and he has a, a new paper um, and PowerPoint slides on kind of comparing all these uh, models trying to price uh, the cross-section of stock returns. All right. Um, so then the, the third paper we'll summarize this week. It was just published today. This, today is Thursday, October 10th. So I don't know what day this video will be published. <laughs> but the third paper was uh, how a multi-factor portfolio is constructed matters. Um, and the opening to this is just so good that I'm just going to read it. So this is this is the opening of the article. Uh, the CAPM was the first formal asset pricing model. Market beta was its sole factor. With the 1992 publication of their paper, the cross-section 
of expected stock returns, Eugene Fama and Kenneth French introduced a new and improved three-factor model, adding size and value to market beta as factors that not only provided premiums, but also helped further explain the differences in returns of diversified portfolios. However, financial innovation didn't end there. While the academic literature now contains more than 600 factors, there are only a relatively small number that have gained popularity as they have been viewed as being persistent, pervasive, robust to various definitions, implementable, aka survive transaction costs, and have intuitive risk-based or behavioral-based explanations for why they should persist. Okay, so a lot of anomalies have been proven, um, but very few um, have gained popularity for those reasons. In addition to the three Fama French factors, we can add momentum, profitability, quality, and low beta, low volatility. Note that while factor premiums are based on long short portfolios, the value premium is captured by going long stocks with low prices to metrics such as book value, earnings and cash flow, and going short stocks with high prices relative to those metrics. Uh, in practice, factor investing is typically into implemented in a long only framework. So that's just to kind of give the setup. Okay, so if an investor believes in these factor premiums, which we kind of hit on in your paper a little bit, um, we said this paper says there's over 600 that have been discussed. So if we believe in these factor premiums, uh, what was the question this paper was asking? Or what was it Larry attempting to explain? Yeah, so again, this was a guest post by Larry Swedro. That may have been a quote directly from his book. Not sure. Uh, but so what this paper was attempting to answer um, is kind of uh, basically examining the portfolio construction. So that's something we've talked about a decent amount on our site. Um, but the, the whole idea is, you know, how do you, let's say you, we know, and we all agree there's six factors, right? Yeah. Or five or 10 or whatever. We all agree on the same factors. The natural question is, okay, that's great. How do I build my portfolio? Right, and so that's kind of what this paper was attempting to examine, and it was done in you know the methodology uh, discussed in the paper. Okay, so yeah, ex and it, it was explaining sing a single factor versus a multi-factor approach of creating portfolios. Um, could you explain in this paper at least what what single uh, factor versus multi-factor approach is? Yeah. So, you know, high level, uh, if you build a single factor portfolio, right, let's just say we all agree to, to measure value as book to market, right? So then you would create your value portfolios based on book to market. You create your momentum portfolios on, let's say, price momentum, quality on ROA. You know, let's just say that's our standard quality measure. And so what this paper says is, hey, is it better to create a portfolio? Is, is it better to just average across our five or six portfolios of all our individual factors? Or is it better to build a portfolio where we kind of rank and we pick like the best stocks that do well on all of the factors, right? So like a com combined approach versus a siloed approach. Got it. Um, so the results, according to Larry, showed the single, pack, single factor portfolios are generally suboptimal versus the multi-factor portfolios. Why, why was this? 
Yeah, I mean, that's just the, and again, so the devil's in the details in all these papers, so I'd highly recommend you read on how you do it, right? So this took, you know, a simple market cap weighted portfolio and then tilted the market cap weighted portfolio towards either a single factor uh, portfolio based on like one measure. So just or, price the book. Yeah, or Period. use, you know, multiple signals to then weight the portfolio. And what, like, what's an example of that? Like we, we'd, we'd select the cheapest stocks in the universe and then own this, you know, so buy price the book and then own the, from that, those cheapest stocks, the ones that have gone up the most too, like with that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So I, what they do in the papers, look at the rankings on all the measures. Got so it'd be like, okay, you know, obviously you'd get a, a better ranking if you were the top on value and top on momentum. If then, if you were, you know, top on value, but bottom on momentum, right? Um, and so again, you know, devil's in the details there. I would definitely recommend everyone read the paper, but high level, I do kind of agree uh, with Larry's like big picture takeaway, right? You know, he mentions, you know, hey, you know, DFA screens out negative momentum stocks, right? That makes sense, right? You know, like we screen out, we have negative screens as well. So there's reasons one may want to do multiple screens like value and quality, right? Momentum and low volatility or something like that, like combinations of factors. So I'd agree. And again, then the devil's in the details, but high level, everyone should just understand that the portfolio construction is important. Is what I would take away from that paper. Right. So, cause yeah, right. Cause the paper hits on, we, we can, you can enhance, as you said, you can enhance generic factor screening um, the, and the answer is simply removing stocks that have lower expected returns than the market. That's yeah. one way to do that. That's one way to do it. Got it. That's correct. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so that's our three papers for this week. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week. The views expressed in this recording are the personal views of the participants as of the date indicated and do not necessarily reflect the views of Alpha Architect itself. Nothing contained in this recording constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other advice and should not be viewed as a current or past recommendation or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The information in this recording is based on current market conditions which will fluctuate and may be superseded by subsequent market events or for other reasons. Alpha Architect does not resume any duty to update forward-looking statements. The information in this recording has been developed internally and or obtained from sources believed to be reliable. However, no representation or warranty, express or implied, is made or given by or on behalf of Alpha Architect as to the accuracy and completeness or fairness of the information contained in this recording. Any liability as a result of this recording, including direct, indirect, special, or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed. Copyright 2018, Alpha Architect LLC, all rights reserved.